Um, so I hope this flows in some logical manner, um, and then I hope I'll probably have some time at the end to uh, let us kind of discuss a little bit as a, as a class what you guys think and kind of where you're at with this. Um, I am, my undergrad is in physics. I don't know, you know, some of you might not have been here two weeks when I was here. Um, I really enjoy thinking about and talking about sort of the cosmology side of, of this debate. And um, my dad, who was here and teaching last week, is more of a biologist and biochemist. And so he knows a whole lot more about the, the, the evolution and, and all debate. The cosmology side of things, I think, is less um, uh, controversial, I guess. Um, there's, there's not... There's not as much that's uh, that's tied into it, and uh, so we'll go through a few things here, and um, and really, like you see, I titled this "How Little We Know." Um, it's staggering how how little we understand about the the structure of of everything that's going on in the universe um, still to this point, and uh, we'll we'll go we'll go through a, a few of the things that we do know. Um, okay, so I, I presented this two weeks ago, but I really like this analogy, so I wanted to present it again just in case uh, folks weren't here. Um, this entire understanding of trying to uh, learn what it is that we're a part of and learn the structure of the world and of the universe and of um, how God fits into that and everything is like working a puzzle where you don't have the box top. You don't know what the final picture looks like when you start doing the puzzle. And so you pick up a piece and and you try and discern something about what the larger puzzle looks like by, by looking at this one piece of the puzzle, but you don't know how it, how it ties in. And so we've got a puzzle piece here, um, and if this is the only puzzle piece that you know, and you're trying to figure out what the larger picture is, then what's important about this puzzle piece? We have no idea. Based on our kind of understanding of the world, <clears throat> this this little bird, this flamingo, maybe it's a flamingo, um, is wearing a crown. So maybe that's significant. Maybe we've got the central piece of, of what's important about this entire thing because this this bird is the king of all the birds, and you know it's a really really important piece of uh, of what this final puzzle is going to look like. But maybe not. Maybe once we finalize the entire picture, then, then it's filled with millions of birds and they all have crowns on them, and, you know, and, and in reality, this is not important. This, this kind of idea of, um, is, is, I think, a really good analogy for what we're trying to work with. Um, we keep gathering more and more information about the universe and about the, our natural world and about the Bible and how it ties together, and we're doing our best to fit that into, into a larger coherent narrative. Um, We've got a lot of different ways we can get puzzle pieces. You know, we've got the Bible, we've got you know science, and we've got the logic in our heads and philosophy and all the rest. Um, and and the pieces are not the same size. We've you know some some pieces of information are more important than others, and and make up larger pieces of the puzzle. And there are pieces that we will never have. You know, we don't we don't have this perfectly defined you know bordered puzzle, um, and there are pieces uh, pieces missing out of the middle of it, and uh, it's just kind of a messy process. Uh, but I think this is important in that the pieces, in my mind, they connect. They don't necessarily overlap. So it's not that there are two pieces that are on top of each other in stark contrast and you, you, you have to pick one or the other. It's that they connect somehow. We don't know how they all connect, but, uh, but they do. 
And so that ties into this idea, which, which this needs to be true for me um, in order for me to make sense of the world. There's, there's not a contradiction. There can't be a contradiction. It's God's Bible and it's God's, God's universe. And um, if we think that they, they don't make sense with each other, then we're, we're doing something wrong on one side or the other. All right, so here we are. Here we are as intelligent, conscious human beings you know, we exist. And so that's sort of the starting point for this whole idea. Um, because we exist, therefore, we had to have come from somewhere. We had to have, um, there has to be a, a beginning to all of this. There has to be a meaning behind this. There has to be uh, an explanation for, for why we're here and why we are the way that we are. Um, and the fact that we are so developed and so intelligent <coughs> and so conscious of our own development um, really says something about. Uh, where we came from and and where we're going, and so since we are here, you know, th- since we are in this universe, since we are in this cosmos, it had to kind of come from somewhere at some point, um, and so for thousands of years, you know, and more more recently, um, you know, just a few decades really, we've tried to figure out where where it all started, right. Um, Universe is a big place, um, but it didn't always used to be a big place. Very recently, and um, we, you know, we're talking only in the last hundred years, we have figured out that, you know, everything is sort of moving, moving out from each other. That was an amazing discovery, which I think was 1927 initially, um, which allows us to sort of work backwards. You know, if everything is moving apart from itself, then then it, you know, came from one central place at some point. And the concept that you've heard many times called the Big Bang is, is kind of what eventually came out of that. Um, the idea that you can kind of do the math and go back to where it all started because it all is moving apart from each other. Um, they've done quite a bit of work and research into how long that took. And... Um, there's a couple, these, these couple things here are a few reasons, or a few different ways that they have calculated that. One is uh, what we call these super, these star superclusters. So we've got huge, enormous clusters of kind of billions of stars all in, um, in one really tight location that they believe are all kind of made about at the same time. And since they were made at the same time with different size, um, stars in them, we can do a pretty good job of calculating how old that supercluster is. Um, because one major thing about stars is the really, really big ones burn much, much faster and burn themselves out. So a star that's only about 10 times bigger than the sun will burn itself out completely in 50 million years or so. But a star that's like a 10th or maybe a 20th of the size of the sun will burn for 20 billion years, you know, so by taking a look back and, or by taking a look at a supercluster, you can see the really big ones, you know, might have burned out, and maybe even some of the medium-sized ones have burned out, which means you're looking at a really old uh, set of, of stars there, and so they've, they've identified some superclusters that are billions, you know, 10 plus billion years old, uh, based on the, the math of, of, of the way that that works. Um, second way that they've worked 
at uh, aging the, the universe is just kind of what we're talking about, the, the expansion of you know, how fast is, is everything around us expanding from each other, and can we do the math to, you know, to figure out how long that took to get back to a, a central point. Um, the big thing about this is it really, really matters how fast it's expanding, clearly, right? Um, because you can, only, you can only do the math if you know how fast it's expanding. And even today, there's absolutely um, discussion about the, the rate of expansion because it's not, it's not been constant is, is one of the big, uh, big issues. Um, and then we just have this, this idea that these stars are really far apart, from, or they're far from us. And so if there, is a, if there is a star way over there and I can see the light, then I know that the light has been traveling for some period of time and uh, the light that I'm looking at right now, if it's, if it's a billion light years away, then what that means is that light took exactly one billion years for that light to get here. And so if we know that the star is way far away and I'm looking at it today in the sky, then it means that the, the light that I'm looking at actually left that star one billion years ago. And so... I guess that means that that you know that the universe has at least been around for a billion years because that light left there a billion years ago and I'm seeing it now, so it's been traveling for that long, and we know of again billions of years worth of worth of light travel um, for for these far far away stars, and so this is the number that that's been used 13.8 billion kind of plus or minus actually a pretty small number they 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 think that they're pretty confident about about this uh, this number. Um, however, just this week, I read an article saying that you know maybe somebody doesn't doesn't agree with the expansion coefficient, and you know it might might be as small as 12.5 billion years. You know they might have knocked a billion years off the age of the of the universe. Uh, but these are these are hotly contested uh, topics. So it's fairly I'm fairly confident that the universe itself, at least, is is that old. There's there's really nothing that we've we've got, um, you know, to to say that that the universe itself is super uh, is is young, um, but that really doesn't say anything specifically to the age of the Earth itself, or then even to the age of life, you know, on the Earth itself. Those are different topics completely. I'm really not going to get into those today because a I am not qualified to to speak on geology or, um, or kind of the, the biological evolution side of things. Um, and it's, it's the far more interesting topic, honestly, in, in my mind. Well, it's the, it's the more important topic, let me put it that way. Um, because it's easy enough. I mean, for decades now, we've, we've had these theories like uh, the gap theory where, you know, maybe the universe is super old, but then God came in and you know, six literal days after that and, you know, did his creation thing. Um, that's possible. It's possible that, um, that, uh, you know, there's, there's a host of possibilities. And I think my dad talked a little about some of those things last week. Um, but the universe itself, you know, is old. We've got a, we've got a number of different reasons to, to believe that. We don't know exactly how old it is, but they, they, they think they do. Um, so on the, but the actual structure, you know, and how it all works, how it all fits together, still startlingly um, <coughs> little is known, you know, with, with some certainty. 
Um, and part of the reason is because we just, this is a really new field of study, um, especially with being able to look really far distances into the universe. Um, you know, we've had telescopes for hundreds of years, um, but the Earth's atmosphere really does a number on being able to use a telescope from, from the surface of the Earth. It, it just kind of doesn't work. And so really the only way to do it is to get a telescope up into space, you know, and to be able to look without having to uh, deal with the, uh, the atmosphere, look through the atmosphere. Um, and that's a very recent um, thing that we've been able to do that. The Hubble telescope was 1990. Um, there was, there's been a couple hundred different telescopes that have gone up to, to, to look at various things. Some of them just are x-ray, some of them are gamma rays, whatever. Um, but Hubble was a huge game changer. But again, that's 30 years ago. 30 years is nothing. I mean, in terms of what we're trying to learn about the universe, 30 years is, is nothing. And so... Um, so we're just babies at this. I mean, we just don't really have the time invested to, to be able to really know um, what is, is going on with the, with the universe and how it's all structured together. And then second order effect of that is how that affects, you know, our faith and, you know, who we believe that a God is and how he put together what, you, what you're looking at here. Um, just within the last like couple of months, um, some of these articles were were published. So, you know, a lot of people are so confused by the the natural order things that they're starting to give up on the idea of a purely material and purely natural um, world, and 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 so they're starting to ask some of these questions. You know, is the universe self conscious? Well. To me, that's, put another way, is there a God? You know, I mean, I think that's, a, that's, the, un, that's the subtext of, a, of, a, of an article like that. Um, this one was interesting. There's a, just, I think there's a date on, yeah, a month ago, you know, how the universe stopped making sense. This whole article is about how these cosmological constants don't agree with each other's, you know. I mean, you go and you measure something one way, you go and measure, measure it another way, and we're way apart from each other on what makes sense and um, how, um, how some of these, uh, these constants fit together. Um, this one is root structural, like, misunderstanding of the, of the way the universe is even put together. Um, we, I mean, as long as we've been doing this, we've ascribed to a theory that the universe is flat, and flat really, it doesn't mean what you think it means. Flat just means that basically parallel lines will stay parallel forever. Um, but instead, you could have a, a universe where, they've got, I think one called open, one called closed. A closed universe is one where a, a line, if it keeps going, eventually actually comes back on itself, you know, and, and parallel lines actually diverge. And, a, and an open, no, the other way around, parallel lines um, converge. And then an open universe would be a, a physical structure where parallel lines actually diverge kind of forever. And so it's, it's the actual kind of warping of time, not warping, but the, the structure itself of time, of, of uh, space-time, um, in a way that really, really affects how we understand what, what, what we are. And so they, they kind of will make some calculations, they'll gather some data, um, and then they have to interpret this data. This is a lot of what we talked about for, the, um, for this class is we have data, we have to interpret it. Um, well, how you interpret this data really depends on 
the structure of the universe itself. And so you pull in this, um, this data from you know, the Kepler Space Telescope or whatever, and, um, and you make these assumptions, and then you get an answer. But if the universe is round instead of flat, then we're, we're off on what all this data even means. And I'm not smart enough to even know what it would mean if it was round, so we, we definitely won't go into that. Um, and this one was fun. Um, the Big Bang may have created a mirror universe where time runs backwards. So at the same time, you have sort of, you know, opposing universes that um, that are actually going in opposite directions time-wise. Um, I don't even know what that means, you know, but I thought it was it was pretty awesome. Um, you know, this this idea kind of dovetails into this idea that maybe this is not the only universe that we that we've got. You know, there's for a long time we've had. We've had the idea of the of what they call the multiverse, you know, where there's millions, maybe infinite number of additional realities that are happening sort of all kind of at the same time, and um, it gets into some, some nutty things that um, we definitely don't have the, the time or, or I don't have the IQ to be able to, to talk about. Um, but interesting stuff all the, all the same. So what they've done, and this is not really helpful, but is they can't explain how the, the universe worked yet. They've gathered all this data, and it just kind of doesn't make sense with itself. And so they have come up with what they call dark matter and dark energy, which um, it is believed to make up 96% of all the stuff in the, in the universe. And basically all it means is it's not detectable, which is why they've called it dark, um, or not detected, let me say it that way. Um, they have not detected what exactly dark, dark matter or dark energy actually is, but they know that based on the gravitational, for example, the gravitational constants that we do know about, planets should move a certain way, galaxies should move a certain way, and they don't quite move that the way that they expected them to. So they're like, well, there must be some dark matter out there that's pulling on it. Um, and, uh, and dark matter is what they say, 22% of the total, and we're only four. So, um, you know, six times, five or six times more than what the actual observable matter in the universe is. Dark matter is five times that. And then this dark energy um, is what they've used to try and describe uh, why the universe is actually expanding instead of con contracting, or, or uh, accelerating instead of um, decelerating. Um, what would make sense if you had an explosion is, you know, Big Bang goes out, but then everything is gravitationally pulling on each other, and so it's slowing it down, and, uh, but they're not actually finding that. They're finding that instead of, of slowing down because it's all pulling on each other, it's actually continuing to expand even faster than, than it was before. Um, they don't know why. Um, and so they're, they're trying to use this, this idea of dark energy, which is 60-some-odd percent of everything observable, um, to, uh, to, to explain that. So that may, that may end up yielding some, some useful results. Um, it may end up finding exactly what they're looking for, some sort of anti-gravity or anti-matter that... Um, you know that that explains why things are are moving the way that they are, but I don't know. We're we're probably a long way from from answering some of those questions. 
And so I, I am a person that does not really like these answers. You know, I don't like that we don't know. Um, and so we've had, I've, I have had to really come to terms with how little we know and how little uh, we're going to know, you know, potentially in my lifetime. Um, and so I've been on a, on a path of kind of self-discovery where I'm trying to let go of, of some things, um, not just in the, on the scientific side of things, but also on the biblical side of things um, that help help my, my, world, my colliding worlds make sense um, in a lot of ways. Um, and so I've got a couple things here that I've had to let go of um, that this is, this is just me. So um, feel free to throw things at me um, and we'll have a few minutes here to, for you to tell me why I'm wrong about a couple of these. But um, first one is the idea of Believing that if, like, being a being a more faithful person, because I believe that uh, in a in a very miraculous uh, view of, of the universe, um, I I don't I don't know where I am, you know, on the you know how miraculous the the creation was, whether it was sort of kind of a snap of the fingers and then everything else from there was was totally natural. Um, or whether it was a very intentional, you know, day at a time kind of, you know, God like moving things and molding things and, you know, throughout. I don't know, you know, I, probably maybe somewhere in between. Um, but I, I need for, I need for it to be okay, you know, for, for me, if I get to a point where I just say, you know, everything is natural, you know, evolution is 100%, you know, um, uh, true and, you know, all of the, all the expansion of the universe and everything is completely natural and God didn't have a hand in any of that. You know, maybe he created it at first and just let it go. I need for that to be okay um, for me. I, I don't, I'm not there yet, but um, if, if I do. Um, one corollary here that I've, I've used that I really like is we don't, thousands of years ago, we might have believed that it was a miracle every time a baby was born, right? Um, but now we understand that you know, exactly how all that works. We've seen it happen so many times. We can predict exactly what's going to happen. We understand what's high risk and not, and exactly if you do this, then that's going to be the, the impact. Um, we, don't, we don't believe that that's a miracle uh, anymore uh, because we understand it in, in a way. It's a, it's a very natural process, but it's kind of a miraculous process as well. You know, I mean, it's, it's incredible what, um, what happens, uh, but, but it's completely under, uh, explained by, by the natural side of... Uh, of the structure of, uh, of life. Um, I needed to let go of the idea that the Bible sort of has all the answers, you know, and it's the only source of truth. Um, and that it was the, you know, if there was ever a, a conflict with anything else, that, that it was the thing that, um, that necessarily took, um, took precedence. Um, so I don't think the Bible ever really claims to be a, a, an authority on the age of, of the universe or, uh, or some of these creation topics. I think it, I think it says that, that God did the creating, not necessarily how he did the creating. Um, it's hard to understand you know, different parts of the Bible, whether they're 
poetry or kind of allegory or parable, you know, or, or a very stri strict historical account of, of what happens. Um, and I'll never know, you know, some of these things. Is, was Job a real person? You know, there's some, there's argument about, I don't know. Um, and I don't, I'm, I'm okay with not knowing that now. Um, and then just this, this idea of how, you know, how each of us reads the Bible, it can't necessarily be the source, you know, of truth when three of us read it and we read it three different ways. Well, which, which is it, right? Um, I think it's okay that we have to, to collect some additional information, but, I mean, the Bible's definitely a big, a big piece of what we know. Another thing I had to let go of is this all-or-nothing view of, uh, of the Bible where, you know, hey, well, if you... You know, if you throw out that, or if you if you don't believe in that part, then the whole thing, you know, just has to go out the window because you know clearly you're not a you're not a believer in the in the Bible. Um, I mean, I've definitely had people say that to me, um, and I I can't I can't believe that. <laughs> I I hope that's not true because um, because I have real problems with you know certain parts of the Bible, and some of those are just just my own problems. Um, but I, I I really hope that's not true. Because um, man, I love Jesus, you know, and man, I believe in the resurrection. Um, but I'll I'll fight you to the death that there wasn't a a global flood that wiped out every you know every living being you know just a few thousand years ago. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, otherwise, why are kangaroos only in Australia? It doesn't make any sense. If they all jumped off the boat in wherever Saudi Arabia. Um, And I had to let go of this idea of Genesis 1 being a scientific document, right? You know, we've talked a little bit about this. Um, a couple of, I'll throw a couple things at you here. Um, this, this picture is of what they call the firmament or, you know, different ver versions of the Bible call it the, the expanse or the vault. Um, and this was the this was the view of what the what the world was at the time that there was an actual dome over the world and that there were there was water above the dome and there was water below the dome which makes sense when you think about it right you know sometimes the top of the dome springs little leaks and you know it starts raining and um, and it's blue so it's got to be water and you know there's water on the ground clearly and sometimes it comes up from underneath whatever so this was their view of what the world was I mean physically what the world was was just a big dome. Um, and when you read Genesis 1, I mean, it makes so much sense uh, when, when you think about this being what they, what they talk about. It talks about separating the waters above from the waters below. It's because this is what they thought that the world was, that there was water up there and there's water below. He um, talks about, you know, placing the stars and the sun and the moon in the firmament. They were literally talking about putting the stars, you know, on this dome. Um, and... And so when you read Genesis 1 that way, it's like, well, yeah, it makes, it makes a whole lot more sense of what they were really trying to, um, trying to talk about. Um, and, uh, and I challenge you to do so. I mean, go, go back and, and think about this dome and, and, uh, and, then, and then really read Genesis 1, and um, there's, there's some interesting things that come out of that. The second is something that um, was actually alluded to a, a few weeks ago, but um, just how, how, much, how much sense Genesis 1 makes as a poem, you know, just the structure of, of the way it's put together. You have day one, day two, and day three of creating three distinct spaces, you know, empty spaces, 
there's this sort of light and darkness space, and there's the separated waters from the sky make a space, and then the, you know, the ground of the vegetation make a space. And then days four, five, and six, we're filling those, those days exactly with the thing that goes in it. So he makes the day in light, and then day four is, all right, let's fill that space with the sun, the moon, and stars. You know, day five is the fish and the birds where it's specifically filling day two's space that's created. And then day six is specifically filling day three's space that was created. Um, so, I mean, this to me is just a, it helps me understand, um, or it gives me one more, one more bullet in the chamber for the idea that Genesis 1 is a, was a poem. It was a, you know, it was a, it was a story that was told to, um, to help them understand um, how the earth, is structured not so much that uh, exactly the way that it, that it happened scientifically. Um, and this one is I, I've I've had a hard time with this one. Is God as the as the deceiver? Um, I mean, very many times have I kind of been told that you know people have tried to use the the argument that um, well then you know God just made things look old you know or he he created the stars but he created the light you know like almost all the way there so that we can immediately start seeing it, you know, when the, when the earth was created 6,000 years ago, whatever. I just, I can't get there, you know. I mean, is it possible? Sure. I mean, could God have done that? Sure, you know. Um, but does that jive with sort of the narrative of who that I think that God is and who he has to be because of the way that he's revealed himself um, to me, I, I'm, I'm just not there. I just, I don't buy that argument. And, um, and so the end of that argument is God's either, or the earth is either old earth, you know, universe, everything is either old or God's sort of a you know, strong word, but kind of a liar, right? You know, I mean, he's, there's all this evidence out there that the earth is old. And if it's all untrue, then, um, then, then there's some deception um, going on there, whether intended or not. Um, and so I kind of had to give my permission to, to let a lot of things go and, um, and to just sort of sit in the gray, you know, and just be okay with the fact that I don't know what's going on and, um, and potentially never really will. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not kind of striving towards that end, but, um, but it does mean I'm in a kind of a, not confused, but I'm in a place of being okay with not, not really knowing. Um, and, um, and don't expect to, to really figure it out anytime soon. Um, so I wanted to, we've got like 10 minutes, um, maybe more like 15. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, I wanted to hear from you guys sort of where, what you've had to let go of or whether I'm wrong for, for letting go of any of these things um, to, to get you to a place where, where you are and uh, <coughs> share time, sharing time. <coughs> Hey, one question I had, I know your dad, I think people try to trust your dad, but also, and kind of goes with what Lauren does as well. You know, what are the overwhelming, I guess, questions on the science side that contradict specifically something in the Bible? That's always the ones that, those highlights one to me that are like, okay, what are the firm ones that are really trying to say? Yeah. Conflict. Um, Good question. On the universe side, it's... It's when Christians try and say, well, you know, 6,000 years old. Obviously, that's one that, you know, scientists would, would clearly, uh, clearly disagree with. Um, I think some of the other ones on the, the evolution side are, are the big ones. Like, I think a lot of people really feel like the, um, that it, it, 
that we can't be a common descendant of the of the apes or whatever because that that makes us not special. You know that that means that we're not really a that that means we're not different. You know we're, we're the ones with souls. You know the the apes don't have souls. Whatever you know potentially. Um, I think that's a that's a hard argument that um, that they're trying to make. Um, trying to think of a of another one, but. I don't. I don't think I, I exactly answered your question, but it seems like they're, they're, they're the ones. Beginning of time seems to be. I remember fifth grade, good pastor. My biggest, my first aha uh, moment was okay. Explain the dinosaurs. Right. These are going. Right. Where the dinosaurs again. Right. You know that kind of thing. That seems to be nothing. You know, contradicting throughout the Bible, except for okay, in the beginning. They yeah. Where everything that's the big head scratcher. Yeah. And I was going to wait on that as well. It's kind of. I think. Um, there is certainly conflict that came kind of around the time of the Enlightenment and post-Enlightenment about, uh, for example, the mirac- all the miraculous events recorded in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. Like, how much of that do we have to believe in order to be faithful, which you sort of touched on. And then also, how much of Jesus can we actually know? Like, so there was this whole quest for the historical Jesus. And, um, there, uh, yeah, there's a long conversation there that we could have about... Um, when I think what actually happens is it's not so much a conflict between faith and science or the Bible and science as it is certain ways of understanding science and certain ways of understanding the Bible. If that makes sense, which I think you're touching on too. Right, right. It just depends on how you how you interpret both. You know, right. I mean, yeah, for sure. I've heard the word no, K N O W, dozens of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we're in a science. And the Bible class, no, and science are somewhat related. That's just obvious to me, perhaps. Yeah. Another thing that's surprising to me this morning, looking at Huffington Post or something like that, the state of Ohio, the state government, has proposed, and they're proposing a law where a school kid does not need to take science if it's contrary to his religion. Duh. Yeah, we're not we're not doing ourselves any favors um, <laughs> by kind of putting our head in the sand. Um, and we've been in this tension for a long time now. You know, we we came from this very biblical view of the world because we didn't have any other information, you know, for thousands of years, right? Um, And then every time we figure something out about the world that contradicts what we thought we knew about, you know, the way that the Bible talks about the world, um, there's tension there. And we've got to figure out what we think and whether or not that that new piece of information is junk or whether maybe we misinterpreted what we thought about the Bible. Um, Never has it mattered more how we interpret the Bible, you know, than it is now. Um, because we've just got more, more alternative, you know, additional um, pieces of information than we've ever had before. And we have access to more information than we've ever had before. And we have to square that with, uh, you know, what we've always thought about the Bible. And that's, it's, it's getting harder and harder. Yeah, and I disagree with that. The very, the very purpose of Genesis is a polemic against what's going on in the worldviews that are all around it. 
So that tension has always existed. It's not something new. It maybe transforms into different ways of uh, reality that we perceive. But the tension's always there, and it's always within us, too. I mean, you know, there's part of me that lives in reality of a resurrected Jesus. There's also part of me that is ruled by the worldviews that I have that contradict that, and therefore I live in some ways sometimes in ways that I shouldn't be living if I really held to that idea of Jesus as a resurrected Lord. So the tensions are always there. They've always existed. I think they will always exist because we are human beings. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising that it's different now, or it, it, we think it's different now than it was 4,000 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a different, <clears throat> a little bit different tension. I mean, certainly the, the, where the tensions are maybe are, are shifting. Um, and that, that Jesus tension is, is always going to be there, no, no doubt about that. Helen's... Even some of the arguments, if you take Polly's idea about the, the watchmaker, <coughs> that goes way back. But yeah. Intelligent design basically saying the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. Those tensions have been there for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was also going to add just um, thinking about the, the miraculous piece of it that you had mentioned and the um, tendency towards naturalism and can we let go of the need for God to be controlling every single thing that happens. One of the doctrines I found most helpful when I was trying to wrestle with this stuff is the doctrine of creation from nothing. And that for for Christians for you know it's really kind of a modern that the the when we come up against the scientific tracing of all this, this being a, a crisis for us is kind of a modern phenomenon. Because Christians, like starting like early on, right after the New Testament period, they thought the fundamental miracle, I guess you might say, is that there's anything rather than nothing. And so the fact that God is sustaining all of this in existence is the is the fundamental miracle that we can marvel at. And then also, you know, we tend to think of natural and supernatural as somehow in conflict with each other or separate from one another. They saw the two as cooperating at all times. And in biblical terms, like the biblical writers actually thought God is at work in all things all the time, and then some of these events may evoke awe and wonder in a distinctive way. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't even say they had a, a, like a category for the miraculous, so to speak. Mm. It's just, I mean, it's like a kind of a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. They basically just didn't see the two as at odds with one another, the supernatural and the natural. So that's kind of something that we wrestle with, that they actually thought it's all marvelous. I yeah. mean, they thought the whole the whole thing was marvelous that it was even here at all. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the natural part of what we've got now, though, is just we've got all these theories about, right. you know, how, how things came to be and all in a very natural way. We've trained, we trained our imaginations to see that the more we learn about how to map the natural process, the less likely it is that God had something to do with it. Right. But that's kind of a that's kind of a modern, contemporary, imaginative structure that we placed on top of science. I think you know? <clears throat> it makes it hard for us effectively to believe that there's a God. Yeah. But I but I mean, and we deal with different a whole other set of issues too in terms of challenging our faith than, than ancient people did. You right. Know? But, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's some of the tension that I continue to feel is 
when you don't know anything about the way things work, then you can just say, oh, the majesty of God has done all these things. You know, the more you learn about, oh, well, that's actually explained by this thing, and that's the, explained by that thing, and, you know, these are all totally natural things. And it's like, well, where does God fit now, you know, and, and do I really need him in the same way? And what I'm hoping we all get to on the other end of that is we understand everything that we do, all the natural side of this, and then it's just so beautiful and so compelling that we come back to where we really need God because it's like only a creator could have could have done it this way. I mean, it's just so wonderful. <coughs> that's that's I'm headed that way, but I'm still a lot to learn. Sometimes I also think though that like some of the you know the edge of what's miraculous and what's natural, mm-hmm. the line keeps getting pushed further and further. Right? Yeah. Like in, in some at some point, we could understand you know physiological scientific explanations for miraculous you know quote unquote miraculous phenomenon mm. just like George Lucas did to the force right by putting microorganisms in there that cause right. all these things but I mean hey, there, are, there are you know you talk about dark matter and dark energy like we that's just we made that name up yeah. put on something that we don't understand yeah, that's right there could be tons of other forces and phenomenon that we have no inkling of right now yeah. that could explain a lot of these other things away but to that point, right? Then that line just moved one notch further. Oh well, maybe there were no miracles because mm. it was all explained by many chlorines or whatever. Right. But you. But right. Right. To your yeah. point, right? It, the the whole breadth of everything is the miracle, and, and as you said earlier. Too. Yeah. And even if we, even if we are, we're okay, sort of getting rid of some of the smaller miracles, you know that you know okay, this one's no longer a miracle. That one's not. I mean. Like, there was still a beginning here, which we'll never be able to, to under, you know, we will never be able to recreate, like, in a lab, okay, we created a new universe, you know, I mean, that's, that's not, that's not what we're going to be able to do, and so, there's still a beginning at some point, you know, that, that we're going to have to come to, come to grips with, come to terms with. But I think that answer brings it all back home, like you said, because there's so many unanswered questions, there's a reason they're unanswered, because there was a creator, yeah, calling God, call it, there was something out there, yeah. We can explain it. There's a reason why we can't explain it. Also, I just have to add this, or I know everybody needs to go. Um, One reason I find the doctrine of the Trinity so compelling is because it's kind of like what C.S. Lewis says. It actually has the kind of feel of reality in that it's not something we could have made up. You know, when you think, like we project that the universe would have this kind of linear, flat expansion, and instead it's curved. Well, I mean, we would never guess that, right? right? Well, no religion has something like a Trinitarian God because it's a paradox in so, so many ways, right? Mm. Um, and so it seems like that that's one thing in my own studying of theology that I find more and more this beautiful mystery that evokes a kind of sense of, there has to be something real to this, maybe? <laughs> like, uh, because I couldn't have, no one could have made this up, right. that God would have this three-in-oneness. Yeah. Last comments. Hope I don't steer anybody wrong, um, but there's a book. It's called um, uh, "A Hundred or Who Made God and a Hundred Other Questions You've Always Wanted to Know." It's got Robbie Zachariah and, and a bunch mm-hmm. of different authors that came together. And again, there's probably <clears throat> things in there that you could tell you, you know, hey. You shouldn't necessarily point to this, maybe, because um, I'm not the expert, but it touches on, it's like this small compilation that touches on just a little bit of all of it, mm. um, and it's a really <coughs> fascinating uh, read. Yeah, good. There's there's a bunch of them out there, man. I wish I had time to read. There's so, so much good uh, 
so many good ideas out there. All right, thank you. <coughs> I do not know. Yeah. I'm just kind of very 